0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz presented by progressive insurance. You guys can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz. Uh, We've got a lot to get into tonight, but Sarah, the the top of the news for us obviously comes down to the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, speaking out uh, regarding the punishment to the Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver. Now, we covered this yesterday for anyone that hasn't seen the news. Sarver has been suspended for one year and fined. 10 million dollars and the question becomes how did they get to that conclusion and and why did they do what they did because many of us were questioning yesterday uh, the punishment, the length of the punishment and the situation overall. Before we get to any of our thoughts here's what Adam Silver at his press conference today had to say specifically around the circumstances that led to this suspension.
2: I'm able to look at the totality of the circumstances around those events in a way that doesn't in a way that we're not able to completely bring to life the nuance that you see, you know, that that when you read a report or deal with it as as sort of in short bursts of news reporting. Um, And I think that that puts me in a different position, ultimately, as the person who has to render the ultimate judgment um, about what is a fair outcome here
1: that ultimate judgment rendered. Now you've heard from Adam Silver, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, I wanna give Adam Silver the benefit of the doubt. And I think a lot of us after what went down with uh, Donald Sterling believed in his ability to make drastic moves when the situation called for it. And we were surprised to see what felt like a very tepid response to Sarver. On the one hand, I respect what he's saying about the details of investigations like this, not always coming through on paper, the context of certain kinds of comments. But there is no context for me, for a white person, especially one in a leadership position in a predominantly black sport, to use the N-word. There is no context that will allow me to say that that is not a decision that you have made without regard for the feelings and the opinions of black people for decades running about whether white people are allowed to use that word and what it means when they choose to do so anyway, there just isn't any context. And he, he speaks again, Fitz, and gets even more into the complicated nature of these kind of investigations. And it left me just feeling, well, let's listen to it.
2: I was not the fact finder here. I mean, the Wachtel firm conducted the 320 interviews and ultimately um, made their conclusions. I will say, I think, That that's a in some ways a legal distinction. I think what as I interpreted their report to be saying, that we are not able to conclude based on the context of those statements that they were they were said out of racial animus. I think they're also they are in essence saying that we do not know what is in his heart or in um, ultimately his mind, but that in the broader context of him saying those things, as foolish as it was for him to say that, as indefensible for him to say that, we do not find that, that the motivation in those instances of saying those things was based on race, but that is their finding, and, and again, they have the benefit of the larger context of doing those interviews, of, of seeing the full context in which those things were said. So I understand the inference that can be drawn from those things, but they, but they ultimately found there was insufficient evidence to make those findings.
3: So here's the thing, Fitz, is this a court of law where your decision is going to be based on whether you can prove without a doubt that he said something with intent, or are you listening to the people who brought you these instances and said that they felt racially insensitive or fully racist? In what context do you need to know that he pulled his pants down when a male employee was giving him a physical? In what context do you need to know whether he asked a female employee whether she got a breast enhancement? There are any number of things where, sure, you're not going to put him in jail, but are you going to say, in totality, this is not someone who should run this this team and be a part of this league? I, I don't like the equivocating here from Adam Silver, where it's basically, well, if they couldn't find without a shadow of a doubt that this was his intent, then I have to shrug. It's a choice to use those words and to behave in that way, and I, I just don't think they're doing enough about it.
1: Context is something in this situation that, frankly, could be provided, and that's one of the issues I have. If you're Adam Silver... And you're saying, well, I have the benefit of full context. Last time I checked, we live in a world where in an Internet society, if if Adam Silver wants to write 4,000 pages to provide all of us with the context, he can. If he wants us to fully understand the whys and the hows of how anybody came to this decision— that could be provided to us. Whatever context we don't have, he could simply give us by cluing us in on some of the information he has that we don't. And that mm. that seems to me to be the the glaring weakness in this conversation because I hate the fact that he's not giving us the context. I hate the fact that he's saying I have context, but I also hate the fact that he's saying and somebody else made this decision in the first place. Like I don't I don't really understand how we're supposed to or why we're supposed to accept every single stage of that when it feels like all he's doing is deflecting and saying, but you don't know whole, know the whole story. Cool. Right. Tell me the whole story. That's what we're all asking for here. Well,
3: he's saying that and then saying the people who believe they know the full story told me X and I'm basing my decision on that. So he's not even saying that it's up to him. And I, that is where he's passing the buck. He said he doesn't have the power to remove the team from Sarver. He did in the case, he said, he said, I don't have the right to take away the team. In the case of Donald Sterling, he empowered himself to give him a lifelong suspension. And I would love to know the difference. He said that what we saw in the case of Sterling was blatant racist conduct directed at a select group of people, difficult to know what's in someone's heart or mind. We heard those words in the case of Sarver, yada, yada, yada. I made a judgment that the circumstances in which he used the language of behavior was indefensible, but not strong enough. So he's simultaneously saying, I don't have the power to do this, and also saying, I've made the decision that I won't do that. Uh,
1: It's also Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's also interesting to me that another point of what Silver has said repeatedly at this point for the last 24 hours is that Sarver is, quote, on notice. All right? So my question is, for what? Like, if if this didn't cross the line, what exactly— Well, he's saying it
3: did, but only to the tune of a year and $10 So,
1: but now you're telling me that he's on notice— what's the new standard? I mean, at at some point I'm looking at it saying, if you're telling me that you believe that, you know, he said these things without question, but you don't know his heart. What, what notice are you putting on that suddenly going to give you an indication of what his heart is today? Like, I I just, I don't really, he hasn't told us what they're looking for, what they didn't see, Mm -hmm. what they didn't find. All he's telling us is we don't have the context. And again, when you are the commissioner of a sports league, standing in front of a microphone, context is something you actually control. So, just just give us the context. Otherwise, right. I don't understand why we should give benefit of the doubt in this entire well, situation. Well, and I
3: think transparency is really important. And to your point, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking about Adam Silver's response to the Sarver punishment, his statements today. I, I think you need to be transparent. When you say he's on notice, what does that mean? How are you keeping an eye on his behavior? How are you making sure that the employees that currently work under him are not being retaliated against for speaking if they did? And does this investigation mean that the people who work under him are in a better circumstance now or that there's the possibility that there will be either punishment or further behaviors as a result of his frustration that this this got out?
1: If the argument is also that he has changed, be a great opportunity to tell us exactly how and exactly how you found that, because that could change some of the mindset also.
3: Right. Which of these accusations were from 18 years ago? And which of them were from a year ago? And what was it about his behavior over time that made you believe that some of the older accusations were no longer relevant?
1: Yeah, th- this this is a conversation that's not going to go away. I would fully expect that we'll continue to hear more and more from uh, everybody as we react to it. We'll keep you updated on the information. In the meantime, over the course of tonight, we got WNBA action to get you updated on. But of course... There are some NFL teams that didn't get off to the best start in week one. Time to turn the page. We're going to do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
3: It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sirius XM channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And for as excited as I was about week one of the NFL season, because my bears emerged with a W, I'm not illogical. That game was played in a swimming pool, and I look forward to seeing what Justin Fields and the Bears look like on an actual football field. There are plenty of teams, unlike my Bears, that didn't fare so well in week one, and they are ready to move on. You could say they're ready to turn the page. Yeah, we're still working on that open, but I I like where it's headed, and that is a fantastic lick. Regardless. Yeah, of, uh, I want to learn
1: to play the saxophone just to play that yeah. and Careless Whisper. Those are the two oh, 100%. things. One hundred percent. just gonna walk into every party wearing speedo and playing the saxophone. <laughs> so
3: sensual. Thank you. Uh, that reminded me of the uh, John Hamm character yeah. on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Do you remember him? Oh, of course. It was. Uh, he wasn't wearing a speedo, but he might as well have been. It was very close. There was a lot of chest hair. There were some gold chains. Uh, I believe his name was, like, uh, Sergio or something. Anyway, uh, Google it if you haven't seen it, kiddos. Let's talk about those teams that want to turn the page. I'm starting with the Lions because in one way, Fitz, they already have. For the first time in a very long time, the Detroit Lions are favored in a football game. Yep, that's right. They had the longest streak of 24 straight games as underdogs. But right now... If the betting odds hold, the Lions will be favorites against the Washington Commanders, currently a a two-and-a-half-point favorite in Caesars' sportsbook. That's turning the page already before the game even happened.
1: Yeah, that's stunning to me, by the way. When I looked at that, I had to read that like three times, not just because, as usual, I'm a terrible reader, but also because it just seems surprising to me. I mean, Washington is not a bad football team. and In this situation, I'm not saying that the Lions are – you know necessarily mince meat on this but the the commanders played well in week 1 there's a lot of talent on this roster i i i think the commanders win this game but you know what for lions fans maybe this is the turn the page moment not only are you a favorite but if you can turn around and actually win this game all of a sudden you know people people start to talk i think i think people are pro lions right now
3: Yeah, the players are saying it's no big deal. They didn't even know about it. I think the fans, more than anyone, get a boost from feeling like tides are turning Mm -hmm. for this team. I'm personally angry with the Lions. They've become so bad and so sympathetic that I was excited when I heard this for them. And they're supposed to be a division rival. But I was like, oh, my God, yay! Yay for them! And I, I blame Hard Knocks. I blame Dan Campbell and his charisma. I blame their just general suckiness for me being like, you know what, I'm rooting for them. Mm. Unfortunately, I do think statistically they shouldn't be the favorite. This is more a matter of teams liking the Lions right now and being endeared to them because of hard knocks than it is about them actually being a better football team. ESPN, I believe, has a 55% chance the Commander's winning. But you know what? We'll give it to them. hopefully, Hopefully those odds hold and they've turned the page. All right, another team that wants to turn the page The Green Bay Packers, an ugly loss to the Vikings in week one, reminiscent of last year's opening loss. They'll take on my Bears, which could be good news for them as they look to turn the page. Here's Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee Show, reflecting on how week one this year actually looked a little better than last year.
1: Like I said after the game, you know, definitely an improvement over last year. We scored seven as opposed to three. Hell yeah. A lot of things to build on. Uh, But that game was you know, a couple of plays from being uh, really tight. And that's the beauty of the NFL and the frustrating part. You know, we had a chance in the first play of the game to have a 75-yard touchdown. We had a chance on the goal line a couple different times to punch it in and score. And, you know, the game would have looked a lot different, obviously.
3: What do you make of that? What do you make of how he spun that into? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's an improvement. Look, Four I, points more. <laughs> there's, this, there's
1: this edge to Aaron Rodgers, whether it's that or whether it's him talking about his wide receivers right now that, like, I just need that to be fixed so that I don't have to listen to that every week with Pat McAfee. Uh, you know, there, there's a spot for me with, I, I believe that the, the Packers lost to a really good Vikings team last week. And I believe this week the Packers will beat a, a Bears team. No offense, sorry. Uh, but realistically, after two years, I don't think we're going to, two weeks, I don't think we're going to know a damn thing about the Packers because they lost the game they should have lost they're gonna win the game they should have won and then mm. we'll start to get a sense of who they are
3: interesting okay yeah you and I disagreed about the Packers and the Vikings in terms of divisional rankings and I certainly I would imagine you think they're closer to the Vikings than that yeah, first game showed yeah, yeah, though yeah, yeah. okay uh, so we'll see what happens against the Bears right now 10 point favorites I won money on the money line week one. I don't know. I'm going to have to look at how the Bears might fare against uh, against that Packers team. All right, moving on. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. We're talking about NFL teams that want to turn the page. That's why we keep getting that sweet riff in our ears. essential oh, so good. so, so good. sensual. Uh, Seattle Seahawks dispatched of the Broncos. It came down to the final play, but they got off to a good start. Not so much for the Niners, who fell to my bears in that swimming pool game I mentioned. And Trey Lance heard it. Didn't matter that he was playing in a swimming pool. Mike Martz had this to say on the 33rd team.
2: I know this, he can only go up. He can only get better because you can't get any worse than what he did today. Uh, I've never liked him. I still don't like him. Um, I don't know. I'd like to know what he does so well because he, he's not a great passer. Doesn't have good skills. Takes him a long time to set himself and throw the football.
0: Hi.
3: Wow. I just keep every time I hear that it just Ouch, it hurts a little and he's not my quarterback.
1: Yeah, I, and we, I mean, you've seen Mike March the uh, offensive guru as your Chicago uh, I, Well, I'm mm. just I know it's too uh-huh. soon to remind you that like uh. Uh, 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 this is just I I, I get it. I, you know that I'm looking at Trey Lance and we don't know, but that genuinely means to me we don't know. And and that also means that while I'm not going to sit here and heap copious praise on him and say that he's the future of the franchise I'm also not going to say that he's hot garbage yet. I just, we don't have enough body of work yet to know. So I'm a little surprised March went so in on the turn the page, 49ers. she will be
3: fine. Yeah. I mean, again, I didn't see a lot from Lance that I liked, but it was a monsoon, mm-hmm. particularly at the key point of the game when they tried to come back. It was absolutely her- horrific to watch. I mean, it was funny but not if you're trying to put a comeback together. Uh, I think Mike Mart's aggressive about, he said, I've never seen anything about this kid that was encouraging at all. Wow. What? He is a big boy who can run, who can move, who can throw. I mean, there's a lot to like about Lance, and you could see why the Niners were, were hot on him. Um, but, I mean, he, he, he didn't save it for Lance. I'll just say in that game as well. He also completely ripped Justin Fields. Oh, good, good. <laughs> he completely good, good. ripped Justin Fields. So apparently he didn't want to care at all about the, the situation or or the weather. He just wanted to take out both of the quarterbacks. But good opportunity for the Niners against the Seahawks team that's not supposed to be that great, although Gino's trying to prove otherwise, uh, to turn the page this weekend. All right, our final game. Your Raiders struggled against the Chargers to be expected with the uh, high hopes we have for for the Chargers. Uh, The Cardinals, on the other hand, didn't look good in week one. So the Raiders have a chance to turn the page and show that they will be able to compete in that division better than they did in that week one against the Chargers. I'm
1: going to give you a, a metric from pro football focus that I think is interesting. No quarterback in week one saved more sacks for his team than Justin Herbert. Three different plays they credited him for saving. Also, the Raiders ended that game with the fifth best pressure percentage in the entire NFL and had no sacks to show for it. I think that that normalizes this week against an Arizona team that, while you know, Murray can be elusive, is nowhere near Justin Herbert. And by the way, the Raiders' offense is not going to be taking on Khalil Mack, uh, somebody we both know incredibly well. They're mm-hmm. not going to be taking on Derwin James. Like, I think the, the Chargers' defense is incredibly talented. The Cardinals' defense is not. The Raiders get on track. They turn the page, and they're right back in the AFC uh, conversation after this Sunday.
3: It's a, it's a big deal to get this win, fits. And that's one of the things that we didn't talk about as much with the Broncos because we were so focused on the decision-making at the end of that game. But if you're in this division, you can't lose to teams that you should beat because you've got plenty of games against really difficult opponents in your own division, and they're going to be giving you all you could take. So if you can't beat the Seahawks, if you can't beat the Cardinals in that division, that doesn't spell success.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you just said, and you can't fall two games back. They'll beat the Chargers. We'll be just fine, and I'll be celebrating. You mean the like, Cardinals? The Cardinals, Cardinals, yeah. Cardinals yeah, and we'll, yeah. I'll be celebrating like you were on Monday. That, that, that's, there that's, we go. There we go. There
3: we go. Feeling positive. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Aaron Rodgers doesn't seem too concerned about his offense, but should he be? We'll talk to Harry Douglas. He's going to join us next to break it all down. Spain and Fitz.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on
3: ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series
1: XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain Jason Fitz we're gonna to talk to Harry Douglas in just a little bit but Sarah uh, I am I am wildly excited uh, because last night as I predicted it's rare that I'm right so I, I wildly uh, excited because last night I correctly predicted that the Vegas Aces uh, would go out and beat the Connecticut Sun they did to take a two nothing uh, advantage in this game. And it was, A, yet again, an incredible atmosphere. I keep stressing stressing that star power at these games is absolutely through the roof. Yes. It was a great game. I mean, the Aces, in the beginning, it felt like the Aces and the Sun were just trading knockout blow after knockout blow. And then the Aces got rhythm. It was fun to watch for a team that plays such electric uh, such an electric style of basketball, and they got the win. By the end of the game, They it was under control. And it's been rare in these playoffs. For as good as the Aces have been, a lot of these games have been tight. Last night was not one of them.
3: Yeah, we'll get into this a little bit later because I have some thoughts on on Asia Wilson and, and what could be one of the great careers we'll ever see in the WNBA. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying that that could be what we see from her moving forward. But I want to ask this, and I don't want to jinx them, so I'm going to say it instead of you, and I know they still have to win another game But if they win on Thursday and they win this title, they will be the first Vegas team to win a championship. So I want to ask the people at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, what's a Vegas way to make that celebration special and unique? And we'll get some answers on how to Vegas it up, uh, whatever the parade and everything looks like.
1: Yeah, it'll be the first pro team. UNLV did win a championship, um, you know, back when I was a kid. But what's crazy to me, and I'm actually going to do a little voiceover piece for one of our digital shows tomorrow about this. But, you know, growing up in Vegas as a little kid, uh, Vegas was a basketball town. And UNLV and Tark and Larry Johnson and Stacey Ogman, like it was, it was electric to watch uh, college basketball when I was a little kid in Vegas. And it ruled the consciousness of the city. There's always been an undercurrent of Vegas that loves basketball. So when you combine that with the success they're having for a team that's playing with this star power, there's such an opportunity, you know, just to, to not only grow this team and this relationship with the city, but also the brand of the WNBA, and I kept thinking about that last night, watching Pop stand up in the stands and seeing NBA player after NBA player there from all over the country. It's just, there a unique opportunity for the WNBA in Vegas particularly to blow this thing up, so I hope that the celebration is as wild and as Vegas as it possibly could be if the AC. Are able to close this thing out
3: Yeah and I I agree I I think I have noticed In the course of my time here at ESPN Which is 12 years if you can believe it Mm. A difference in coverage From our network and a difference In investment from the people who are talking heads And to me, that is a huge and necessary step. The way that we cover men's sports is to give every big story 11 different angles. Anthony Davis uh, hurt himself. What does this mean for the Lakers? And it's every single talking head has a different take on what it means specifically for this player, this game, this matchup, this postseason chance, etc. And with women's sports, too often what we do is just focus on a single player's performance. This player had 40 points. Or a team winning it all. And then we won't talk about it again till the next year when somebody wins it all again and having conversations about the intricacies of the game matters it tells people that these games have value it gets them invested in debating with each other over a beer who's a better shooter and who should be starting and who's letting their team down and I have seen in the last couple of years a big change. And this year in particular, especially because I'm on shows like Around the Horn or on our radio show where you're invested and doing the work to, to have these conversations with me. I'm listening to local radio here in Chicago. And after the Sky won the title last year, they pop up in regular conversation and not just in segments that are about them. And, and that to me is huge. And the Aces, I think the star power that they have, the razzle dazzle, the sell, sold out crowds, Lil John at halftime. They are a perfect team to pick up this moment and run with it.
1: There was a incredible moment last night in the game. And it was a, a moment where I found myself holding my breath because Chelsea Gray, who's been absolutely just spectacular throughout the playoffs, went down with an injury. She goes back to the locker room. There's this fear in the moment that that's going to be sort of a, a hitch in the giddy up, let's say it that way, for the Aces and what they're trying to accomplish. All of a sudden uh, two possessions in kelsey plum goes around beautiful drive scores and lets out a, a just a yell a guttural yell that just had me in, in my fields because it reminds mm-hmm. me that this is a team that can beat you in so many different ways so when you're talking about i think you know chelsea being one of the most important players throughout this playoff run they said on the pre-show broadcast you know look out for Kelsey because if they're going to try and shut everybody else down Kelsey's going to have her opportunity she came out with a fire last night that just I, I, I loved it and you see the because way because of is, Asia Yeah,
3: by the way <laughs> oh. and she said that she said Asia cussed me out for being so bad in the last game. And I think that's partly also fits why she took it to the paint over and over to start because she wasn't feeling confident in her shot. And she said, I'm going to go inside and get some easy ones and see if I can get a rhythm.
1: I also thought speaking of get a, get a rhythm, Becky Hammond, who has been such an incredible coach this year, they, they you know got their huddles mic'd up and I was watching last night. And I thought it was really interesting at one point early in the game when Connecticut was just, they, they were being more aggressive on the boards. And Becky Hammond said to the team in the huddle, Uh, If you need a breather, take it on the offensive end. Find a corner and grab your breath, but you are not going to take a breather on that end of the floor. I love it. And they came out the next four or five possessions, and they crashed the boards with the level of aggression. And it's just those are the little things that are going right right now for Vegas. And I I, I don't know, as a fan of the Aces and a fan of the W, I don't know how long Becky Hammond's going to be there because it feels like the NBA is just going to go poach her. But, man, it's a gift to the league when you see just the way everybody, it, her her voice resonates with this team.
3: Yeah, completely agree. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Aces one win away if they win tomorrow in Connecticut from the WNBA title. Um, Carolyn Peck, ESPN basketball analyst, was on SportsCenter talking about this team last night. I think she was very smart in the way she talked about, particularly that top trio of players.
0: When the shot clock was running down, Chelsea Gray was clutch over and over and over again for the aces but as she drew the attention of the Connecticut Sun well you know who else showed up that was Kelsey Plum now Kelsey Plum has struggled from the floor she was one for nine in game one but when it came to game two then she found a
3: way to get downhill yeah, I mean, this is, like we said, Kelsey Plum stepped up after a rough outing. Chelsea Gray's making it real tough to pick an MVP of this series.
1: Yeah, which real is... Real
3: <laughs> tough. And that's saying something, because Asia has been unbelievable. But between the two of them, man.
1: Now, you're right. I mean, Asia's been... Uh, the 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 ability for her to hit everything is just it's wild and she's a size mismatch that it, j- there's just no answer for but you're yeah. you're absolutely right the, the team goes as Chelsea's energy goes throughout the course of every time she's just bringing the ball up the court it's you can feel it you can there's a palpable difference in here and i thought it was interesting cuz game 1 was ugly enough that Connecticut really gave them all the physicality i thought Vegas can handle game 2 it looked like Vegas came out ready for it like they'd taken those punches and they knew how to react to it, and that's why, frankly, Sarah, I, I feel I feel pretty good. I feel pretty confident. I I, I think I'm going to be doing our show tomorrow night from uh, Mohegan Sun, home of the uh, home of the arena for the Connecticut Sun. What's the level of professionalism I have to hold though if I'm in this right, game with an right. ESPN pass on? Like, do I, do I just try and buy buy a ticket off the street so I can be that guy?
3: Okay, so if you can get credentialed to do our show from inside the arena, right. then get credentialed. Okay. If that ship has sailed. Buy a ticket so you can be a completely unprofessional buffoon. Maybe
1: I'll do both. Like maybe. I'll, but wait,
3: like, that credential gets you on the on the court and stuff after the series is over so you could celebrate on the court with them with that credential. Wait,
1: the credential gets me all the way down
3: to the court? Well, de- I mean, it depends on what kind of... I Maybe I'm speaking did, for sa- myself. Did Sarah, did Sarah maybe, just work at Kinex? Maybe, maybe, like, maybe I know. I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> I was maybe saying your like, credential has you limited to the auxiliary press box, which is up in the 400 level. Um. Not not positive.
1: I mean, you are talking to the guy that once tweeted an apology to several prominent NFL reporters for my press box behavior during a Raiders game. Yeah. Like I, I I'm also ever... talking
3: to the guy that got sent to uh, cover something with Golik Jr. and then neither of you got into the building. <laughs>
1: yeah, that is that is very,
3: after, very after true. After flying out there. Right, is, um, yeah. I'm fascinated to see how this closes out, especially... Uh, the battle between Chelsea Gray and Asia, Asia Wilson. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel for Dwana Bonner because she's been great for this team. But the first two games of this finals, she has one for nine in both games. She has not taken one single uncontested field goal. They just need to get her an open bucket and try to get her off because basically that team has no chance with that or they're 0-4 in games where she has 10 points or fewer and she just hasn't been able to find it. Even if she does, I still have my money on the aces, but I I just I don't want to see her go out with a finals where she has three straight games where she doesn't show up. Yeah, she's too good of a player for that as much as she's not my favorite after our series.
1: I agree with that 100%. Don't forget, be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz, especially if you got a way to get me into this game for free. ESPN Nation's <laughs> presented by Dr Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr Pepper, the one fans deserve. We're going to give you the one fans deserve next. Harry Douglas going to join us. We'll get his breakdown on what to look for in Week Two of the NFL. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the
2: podcast.
3: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. If we promise you Harry Douglas, we're going to bring you Harry Douglas, maybe just a few minutes later. By the way, Dr. Pepper, Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Let us know how you think the Aces uh, should celebrate if they win no jinxes in a uniquely Vegas way as the first pro team to win a championship. Uh, Again, no jinxes, no jinxes. All right, let's get back to NFL for a little bit. ESPN football analyst Harry Douglas is with us. Harry, we just played some Aaron Rodgers sound. He seems to be uh, trying to put a spin on week one, said, hey, we scored more points than week one last week, but he certainly was showing his emotions mid-game, frustrated with those wide receivers. How much are you taken away from that chemistry or lack thereof in week one? Yeah, it
0: definitely wasn't there. Now, I will say the first play of the game, the um, receiver got to catch that ball. That's a touchdown, and you can easily tie the game up 7-7 at that point. Uh, so, but it kind of went downhill from there. But they weren't able to protect Aaron Rodgers as well, missing Batiari, missing Elton Jenkins, but also missing Alan Lazard. So those three of their, their studs offensively, offensively that the Packers were missing. But at the same time, when I look at the, the entire situation that's going on, yes, I understand the receivers have to catch the football. But the presence of a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who was the back-to-back MVP, And I'm not saying you have to be at every OTA practice that you have in the offseason, but you need to show up to some, especially when you know you're not going to have Devontae Adams going into the season. You have two rookies, and then you have another free agent guy, three new guys within that room. You have to be there some trying to build that chemistry and also just being present because those guys are going to look at you in a different light because you are Aaron Rodgers and you're the back-to-back MVP.
1: I want to talk to you about a team that we don't talk a ton about, but you know incredibly well. The Titans choke against the Giants, but most importantly, play calling for the Titans is just being ripped right now. You know this team. You know what their situation is. Uh, When you start looking at a team that doesn't seem to have great play calling, who do you blame that on?
0: Well, when I looked at the playoff game last year against the Cincinnati Bengals, I I was kind of questioning the play calling a little bit then with Todd Downing. Uh, but I can't help but think about back a few years when Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator there and how this team was just rolling offensively, and he knew the right plays to call and whatnot, and then you see him against the New Orleans Saints dial-up plays left and right, and, and that game, a game that they actually should have won, Arthur Smith and Atlanta Falcons, that is. So you don't have an A.J. Brown, and we've seen what he did with the Philadelphia Eagles in his remarkable uh, debut in, in an Eagles uniform. You're, you're trying to walk, uh, walk in Bobby Trees, Robert Woods thats what they call a the Bobby Trees, you know. And then <laughs> you have Traylon Burks trying to get it done. You're trying to incorporate Austin Hooper. Derrick Henry's coming back off the injury. Uh, Taylor Lewan has to be better. It was, a, it was a key moment in that game where if he gets his block, uh, the tight end of uh, Chubu, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, uh, ha- has, a, has a big play there. But all those moving parts. Now, Todd Downing is going to have to decipher and really earn his money as an offensive coordinator. And I'm going up to the game in Buffalo for Monday Night Football, and, I, and I'm kind of worried right now. After seeing Buffalo and the Bills and Josh Allen to orchestrate that offense, they're going to score points. So the Tennessee Titans are going to have to score points. But lean on Derrick Henry, uh, but make sure you put guys in the best positions to exploit their strengths and, and not their weaknesses.
3: Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Harry Douglas. You can follow him at hdouglas83. As a former player, how much do you take away from the conversation about Nathaniel Hackett's first outing as a head coach? Not just that last decision, but a lot of questionable decisions throughout. Um, as a player, did you, when you had a new coach, worry about whether they knew what they were doing and whether you could trust him?
0: Well, it's week one, and he did have some lapses uh, within that game. There were, op- there were There were moments where... I don't think the play call was getting in at the right time. But at the end of the day, you look at the two running backs, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, fumbling on the one-yard line. You can't have those type of plays. But then you also see a moment where you have fourth and five at the end of the game, and you would like to kick a 64-yard 60, field goal. And the percentages on those type of field goals, 60-plus, haven't been good throughout the last or, or the history of the National Football League. So I kind of question that, and I also think he got caught in a moment where he didn't really know what he wanted to do, a lot of indecision. So that's why you've seen the timeout being called late. But at the end of the day, when you have a guy like Russell Wilson who you gave a lot up for, who you signed to a big contract, he's going back to Seattle, win the game on Russell Wilson's shoulders or lose the game on his shoulders. Put him in a situation to where he can succeed, and if he doesn't succeed, he can say, you know what, I didn't get it done, and this one's on me. And technically, I don't think that game is on Russell Wilson. I'm not saying he played great, but when you have two fumbles at the one-yard line going in to score touchdowns and you don't even get six points, two field goals out of that, that can hurt you as well.
1: Uh, Harry, three interceptions by Derek Carr. My liver can't handle this every week. <laughs> Am I going to have, like, a drinking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> problem by the end of the year? Is this going to get right?
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I, I hope that can target Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller even more. I understand... Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams, but uh, I, I don't think it, just, it could just be a one-man wrecking show. They're going to have to incorporate those other two guys who who have been studs in the last two or three years for the for the Las Vegas Raiders and get those guys involved. But Derek Carr has to understand, especially when you're in a tight red zone in the red zone, you can't turn the football over there. You don't want to have turnovers at all. The first thing offensive coordinators and head coaches get up in the team meeting room and say, when you go over the offensive must, take care of the football. You can't turn the football over. And then defensively, one of the first things that you say is we got to create turnovers and get turnovers.
3: Harry, there were a lot of things we saw in week one that were not a surprise. There were sort of things we saw coming. What surprised you in week one, a team or or a moment?
0: I would say the Detroit Lions and how they fought against the Eagles and didn't give up and came back. Um, And if they get a stop on on a key down and don't let Miles Sanders uh, run loose, they have an opportunity to go down and win the football game. Uh, So I'll say the Detroit Lions, a lot of teams are going to be surprised when they play them this year. I was surprised with them last year. They have some more pieces to the puzzle now. Um, But I will also say you look at a team like the Philadelphia Eagles and you look at the addition of uh, A.J. Brown and what this team can be. Jalen Hurts is only going to get better along the way. And the last one for me is that a lot of people um, kind of wrote the Atlanta Falcons off. Uh, didn't talk much about him this off season. I had an opportunity to do an internship there to Bill Walsh Diversity Intern Coaching Internship. And this team has some pieces. And if their offensive line can win the lot of scrimmage like they did against the Saints, and if the defensive line can win the line of scrimmage like they did against the Saints, and then can, if they I think this team is going to be better than a lot of people actually think they are, give them credit for
1: Hey, Harry, real quick before we get you out of here. Countdown to game days in Boone, North Carolina this week. You, Harry Lyles, Christine Williamson, uh, you got big Boone plans?
0: You know, you know, my birthday is on Friday. You know I get there Friday. So I'm oh, having a nice no. little dinner. And, Fitz, I'm trying to make a decision. At the end of our show, I think I'm going to jump in the crowd. I need the crowd to carry me. I think okay. I'm going to jump in the crowd, Fitz.
3: It's very Pat McAfee. Of I'll you. tell you
1: though, like we played App State years ago in the music business. That place is fire. Like they are going to be. They, they, they don't get game day. You're going to do crowd surfing. This is this is your moment, dude. This is your moment. Just like get a fat head shirt of me that you can wear there, so I feel like I'm there.
0: <laughs> yeah, but Harry, I, mean, I may tell the DJ to, to play swag and surfing, but it's, we there gotta you gotta go. go, crowd and surfing. Uh, yeah, swag surfing. Just make sure go.
3: that your expensive uh, chains and watches are tightly on if you do that, Harry. I'm just I care about you. All right, so be careful. T- anytime people it people go crowd surfing i worry about that uh thanks for the insight harry appreciate it love you buddy have a great one no uh, thank you love you too bro harry douglas at h douglas 83 he loves fits uh, apparently not me but that's okay i don't really know him <laughs> so i'll allow that i've never met harry in person maybe sometime coming up soon hey real quick fits we're gonna have jeff pass it on next and i want to ask a social question because i truly am genuinely interested in people's response to this tony larissa has been out uh, with an illness and has not been cleared to coach yet, but will be back. And the team has fared much better without him. They are actually just three games back of the Guardians. They're still in the playoff hunt. This is a team a lot of people wrote off midseason. Incredibly disappointing. Can you basically tell LaRusa, don't come back for the end of the season? We're better without Ooh. you. Because that would amount to telling someone they've lost their job because of illness. That doesn't feel right.
1: Oh, man, that is going to be – that's a great question. We'll get get—we'll uh, get Paston's thoughts on it. We'll give our answer to it too, but you guys can chime in. That's going to be awesome. Speaking of, uh, Jeff Passon will join us next. We'll, uh, we'll have him wrap that up, plus give us all the insight we need for Major League Baseball. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.